had to pipe in my own cheers and applause. Cause, yeah. I don't want cheers and applause, by the way. So, but hey, welcome everybody. Glad, glad that you guys are here. Merry Christmas. I hesitate to say Christmas or Christmas season because people go, well, isn't Christmas a couple weeks? We're going to talk about that. I think it's Christmas all year long. Anybody with me? Yes. All right. Hey, by the way, on our video, if you want to join us for our little shindig, our little get-together afterwards, appetizers and snacks, you don't have to bring a shack, okay? You don't have to. If you have, you can park it out back, and we'll find a use for it, but that wasn't the idea. Um, and if you forgot to bring something or you didn't, just hang out. We'd so much rather just have you. Just hang out for a little after service and just hang out for a little bit with friends. Um, so I want to get uh, into our message. It's called the Heralds of Christmas. I call it that uh, because the Lord told me to. That takes all the weight off of my shoulders if you're going. It, but that's true. I prayed about this for weeks. And as pastors, we always think about Christmas and the Christmas season and the Christmas messages and the whole month of December, like months and months and months ahead of time, and, and lay out carefully laid plans and, and message planning and all sorts of things. That's usually what happens. That is not what happened this year. What happened this year is I literally got before the Lord and I said, Lord, I have nothing. Show me where you want to go. Show me what you want me to share with your people. And this is the way that he showed me. And when it's called the Heralds of Christmas, um, I'm going to point out that the Heralds of Christmas are you. We are the Heralds of Christmas. And I want you to think of it a little bit differently. We hear herald angels and different things about Christmas. Um, and I'm going to show you something, maybe a different way to look at it than you have in the past. So welcome to Christmas. And you always hear Jesus is the reason for the season, right? Anybody ever heard that or said that? We do. And it's, and it's true. But have we lost track of really what that means? I think that we have. And that's kind of what I want to talk about. Christmas in general is such a nice time of year. Anybody here just love Christmas and the things that surround Christmas? I do. Now, if you, let me rephrase that. If you set aside crowded shopping malls, if you set aside the fact that Christmas music started back in October and Costco started carrying Christmas decorations before Halloween, um, and, and supply chain issues and the fact that Amazon said, if you haven't already ordered your Christmas stuff, forget it, it's not coming. If we set aside all that, all the craziness, isn't it just nice? People seem to be intentionally a little bit more joyful during this time of year. Maybe a little bit more likely to buy the coffee for the guy in line behind you. A little more likely to maybe talk to somebody that you've never met before and just say, Merry Christmas. It just seems, it just seems to be a nicer attitude that people have. Even non-Christians and what I call Grinch enthusiasts will find themselves being a little bit more optimistic, maybe is a good word for it. Maybe a little bit more optimistic, a little less self-centered, a little more giving in general. Even non-Christians find themselves sometimes being that way. Why do you think that is? Why do you think even Grinch enthusiasts and non-Christians 
get caught up in this thing that we call the Christmas season also. Why do you think that is? I mean, it's a very, it's a very focused holiday. You know, Memorial Day can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. Other holidays can mean different things to a lot of people. Christmas, if you ask them what that means, at the core, most people could probably tell you. And it's a very Christian-centered holiday. And I found this. So if you've ever heard of Pew Research, Pew, P-E-W, Pew Research is a a center, very well-respected center, that does surveys mostly related around churches and Christian-y kind of things, right? But they're very well-respected. Their their methods are excellent. And they found this. They found that nearly 96% of Christians who identify as Christians celebrate Christmas. Any big surprise there? I'm actually surprised it's not a little bit higher. Here's what's surprising, though, what struck me. The same survey also finds that 81% of non-Christians find themselves celebrating Christmas as well. 81% of non-Christians as well celebrate or observe or in some way celebrate Christmas. I think that's interesting. It really testifies to the wide acceptance of the holiday, of what Christmas is, or maybe maybe it's just the unavoidability of it. You can't go anywhere without seeing Christmas. I was having a, t- a conversation with somebody earlier, <clears throat> and they were talking about how the secular world has kind of co-opted Christmas. But if that weren't true, would you see Christmas decorations everywhere that you went? Would you see or hear Christmas music everywhere that you went. If it was just a narrowly focused Christian holiday, maybe we wouldn't be reminded so often. And that gives us the opportunity then to really focus in on what those things mean. And that's our job as Christians. Going back to this survey, 81% of non-Christians also celebrate Christmas. I found uh, an interview, it's kind of related to this very survey, where they interviewed a guy who calls himself an agnostic atheist. Okay, you can decide in your head what that means. He's not a follower of Christ, let's put it that way. And he said this about when he was trying to kind of explain why 81% of non-Christians celebrate Christmas. He said this, a quote from him. A lot of atheists do celebrate Christmas simply because Christmas has changed from being a religious thing to being a cultural thing long ago. It's not about Jesus being born, but about family, holidays, presents, and eating and drinking as much as you can. In other words, we do the same as Christians, we just don't go to church. I hear that, I'm like, is that what Christmas or Xmas has become? Now, for those of you who like me, rail again. Anytime I see Xmas, I'm like, no, I'm writing out Christmas, the whole thing. There are people who argue that that is very much biblical and Latin and all this to call it that. But let's set that aside. Let's set that aside, along with all the arguments about how Christmas was originally a pagan holiday that got, uh, that got co-opted by 
by the church and how Christmas trees are another pagan symbol. Let's set all that stuff aside, right? And just enjoy it. But going back to that survey and what the guy said specifically about how it's a cultural thing now and not centered on Jesus. I would argue that if that is in any way true, and I think unfortunately there's a lot of it that is, I think it's because we as a society, we as the body of Christ, have lost sight of what Christmas really is. So many of us have this different. When you think of Christmas, if I were to ask you, what's Christmas to you? Now, we might, we might give the standard answer. It's about the birth of Jesus Christ. Okay, but what, do you, what pops into your mind when, like when somebody says back in October, hey, it's almost Christmas, what comes into your mind? Is it one of these things? I got a little video for you to check out. So this is Christmas And what have you done Christmas tree lot so people wouldn't have to drive all the way out to nowhere and waste a whole Saturday. They invented them, Russ, because people forgot how to have a fun, old-fashioned family Christmas and are satisfied with scrawny, dead, overpriced trees that have no special <sighs> meaning. My toes are numb. You see, kids, this is what our forefathers did. I can't feel my leg. They walked out into the woods, they picked out that special tree, and they cut it down with their bare hands. Mom, I can't feel my hips. Clark. Yes, honey? Audrey's frozen from the waist down. Uh, that's all part of the experience, honey. There it is. Come on, kid. Ho, ho, ho! Come on! Come on up, come on up there. Ho, ho, ho! You have a Merry Christmas. that those things aren't fun. Pastor Gabe is probably the single biggest Christmas light enthusiast that I know. She was watching that clip going, that is awesome. And I'm saying, no, we are not doing that at our house. 
but those things are fun. I have, for years, drug my children out in the middle of blinding snowstorms and every other thing to cut down our own cruise. I've been Clark Griswold. I still consider myself that guy today. But And those things are fun. All the trappings of Christmas, they're fun, unless it involves going to the mall for Santas. And those of you who have newer little ones who haven't done that yet, congratulations. You get to enjoy that. But those things are fun, but they're not what Christmas is about. But it's often what we think about. In fact, talking about movies. I love Christmas movies, okay? Christmas Vacation, that little clip we shot, that's my favorite, full disclosure. That's my favorite Christmas movie. But USA Today, if you've heard of them, USA Today used to be a big deal, not so much anymore. But they did a survey about uh, the top 10 all-time favorite Christmas movies, Favorite top 10, now I'm not sure exactly the metrics and what, you know, what data they used, but here's the 10 that they came up with. Let me read them to you and see if like your favorite kind of resonates or is in there. Number 10, A Christmas Story, okay, love that. Number nine, A Christmas Carol. Number eight, The Apartment. Anybody ever even heard of The Apartment? I haven't either. So, number seven. Die Hard. There's always one or more. Number six, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Number five, Miracle on 34th Street. Okay, number four, Love Actually. Number three, Elf. Number <laughs> Diminishing woos as we go through. Number two, It's a Wonderful Life. I just watched that last night. Love that one. And number one, Scrooged. <laughs> what? Who's going to come up here and fight me over the... No, it's okay. Scroo- I, I don't know about Scrooged yet. I know the movie. It's not my number one. But these are all fun. But even, and I watched it just last night, It's a Wonderful Life. Beautiful movie. Great message. It's... It's just everything I think Christmas is about, with one exception. Christmas ideals, Christmas thoughts, redemption, all these sorts of things, Christ is not explicitly mentioned. So the whole reason that that whole scene and that whole movie even takes place around Christmas, they don't even talk about why that's significant. And I'm not bashing the movie, that's just the way it tends to be. And many Christians have allowed that or the lack of talking about Christ to be acceptable in our culture. We celebrate Christmas many times all season long without ever really thinking about why. Why do we do it? And that's what I hope. In this message, I really hope to get you into a little more of a place of awareness of how Christmas is not just on that day. It's not all the surrounding things. Christmas is a mindset that we should carry with us all year long. I want to share this with you. Now, again, our culture has kind of co-opted that, and we've allowed it to become that. But Jesus himself, in a couple scriptures, let's get to some churchy stuff versus that stuff. Jesus tells us that even though we live in this fallen world, we are to be separate from it. We are to be holy and set apart. And in many ways, we're supposed to be 
above it. John 15, verse 19. I'm going to read these two verses to you. John 15, 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as, it is, as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. And then a couple, verse, couple chapters, a couple verses later, John 18, 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he is your king. And his kingdom is not of this world. Therefore, we as disciples of Jesus are not of this world. We are in this world. And it's okay to engage in the things of this world and to have fun with the things of this world, but we are called to be different, and we are meant to be different. And sometimes that difference is just an understanding of why we do what we do. That's what I hope to talk about here. So instead of embracing this, what the culture in general has decided Christmas represents, we, as disciples of Jesus Christ, should be the standard bearers of what is truth. So when somebody asks us what Christmas is or talks about Christmas, we should be able to say, this is the reason. And not just, Jesus is the reason. Why? Let's talk about that. In fact, Peter, Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, puts it like this. But you are a chosen people. He's talking about you, disciples of Christ. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Now, that's not just Peter's good idea. He's quoting what God says in Exodus 19. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's own possession. If that's who we are, then maybe we should revisit this question of what is Christmas. Okay, and not from just the fun, worldly, cartoony standpoint. What is Christmas? Now, the the answer everybody would give would be it celebrates the birth of Jesus, right? And it should be a time for joyous celebration of that. But I can tell you, anybody, anybody here have a December birthday? Anybody have one within like a week on either side of Christmas? Remember your whole life going, what a jip. Everybody's celebrating everybody. And then worse yet, like your parents go, well, let's just combine the two days and not have two separate. Then you grow up going, Christmas is kind of a jip. That's not what it is. Christmas is so much more than a hypothetical sweet story. And it is that, but so many times the culture has, has diluted it down into just a cute story. It's one reason why I think non-Christians can accept it and celebrate it and have fun with it. Because we have taken Christ out of the forefront of Christmas and made him an add-on to just this fun, happy time. It's so much more than that. It, Christmas is a historical event. Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ, happened. And not only is it a historical event, 
it is a foundational event. It is a foundational event to the doctrine of Christ. We as Christians need to see it as a historical thing that happened, and it is foundational to our beliefs. We need to look at it like that. It's been taken out of that context of a historical event, a real thing, into this feel-good fairy tale. And I'm telling you, Christmas is not just a single day. It's not a month or a week or even a season. Christmas is meant, Christmas is meant to be a celebration of the fulfillment of God's promise to send a Savior into this world. That's what Christmas is meant to be. Going all the way back, the very first gospel ever preached. Anybody who know, know who, who, maybe not preached, but spoke the first gospel message? Anybody know? God did. All the way back in Genesis 3.15. It's called the Proto-Evangelium at your next Christmas party. Say that several times. Sprinkle that into the conversation. You'll sound super smart. What it means is the first gospel. The first gospel spoken by God himself. And it's when he says this, Genesis 3.15. I think we got it. And I will make enemies of you and the woman and of your offspring and her descendant. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Talking to the serpent about the consequences of, of this fallen world. But he's promising right there, I will send a savior. And that sets in motion right there. So God's promise to send a savior, that proto-evangelium was fulfilled the day Jesus was born. Yes, I know, the kingdom has not consummated yet. There's so much that has to happen still. The return of Christ, all these things. But that promise, that promise was fulfilled. Let me repeat it. If you're at home, set down your coffee, lean into the screen. If you're here, eyes forward, pay attention. I want you to hear this. God's promise to send a Savior was fulfilled on the day Jesus Christ was born. Doesn't mean there's not still work to do. But that Savior was the fulfillment. That should be an amen and a hallelujah. I heard one amen, but she's a pastor, so that's, she's required to say amen. That's why I have her sit up front. But the idea of Christmas should be an ongoing celebration of that promise. Every time, every time we get together and every day until that day when Jesus returns. And then that best and final gift of all is revealed through him when we are with him in heaven. But every day until then is Christmas. Are you following me now? Every day until then is a day where we as disciples of Christ should have a mindset of thankfulness for what God has done. And I know we set aside this month and this time and this day to really point to it and really focus on it, but that should be something we carry in our hearts all the time. Our job as disciples of Christ is to remember, to celebrate, and to be thankful for that. And more than that, to proclaim that or to herald that to the world. I want to talk about that word, that word herald. This series is called The Heralds of Christmas. 
Remember that popular song that's got Harold, something about Harold's in it? Anybody know? Hark? Nobody says hark anymore. Hark. George probably says hark. Yeah. George is allowed. He was there when they came up with the word. Love you, George. Hark the Herald Angels Sing was written back in the 1700s, a little bit before George's time. 1739 by John Wesley. It was originally actually titled Hymn for a Christmas Day. And here's what I want to share with you. Who has already heard the song Hark the Herald Angels Sing a dozen or more times in shopping malls and wherever? Many of us already have. Many of us are already tired of hearing it to a certain extent or another, right? Let me share something with you, though. I was going to have the worship team sing that this weekend, but, and we'll do that, other versions of it, throughout the next couple weeks. But I want to read the lyrics to you. Because the lyrics to the hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, encapsulates everything that is the beauty of the gospel message. And it does it in such a powerful, poetic way. So whether you like that song, whether you like Christmas carols or not, I want you to just sit. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read you. And there's a three stanza version and a five stanza version. I'm going to read you the three, the traditional version. <clears throat> and I want you to just listen for the gospel message in these lyrics. <clears throat> Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark, the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn king. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Love that. You listen to that so many times you just hear it and maybe even sing it in church, but you really take a moment to think about the words. That is beautiful. And it contains the summation of Christian doctrine. And that is what we as disciples of Christ should be proclaiming to the world. I talked about earlier how God Himself was the first to literally herald the the coming Savior, Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelium. The dictionary, though, defines, I looked up the word herald, because the word herald can mean a lot of different things, not the name herald, the noun 
herald. And the herald, the, the dictionary definition of a herald, especially in the time of Jesus, is this. An official messenger, usually an officer, with the status of ambassador, acting as official messenger between leaders, especially in times of war or conflict. Isn't that what we are? We are messengers between two sides. Have you ever wondered why? Go, let's go back to Herald Angels. Let's go back to the song. And the mall, shopping malls are full of them. But have you ever wondered why, when I asked you, if I'd asked you to picture a Herald Angel, what would you picture? It'd be an angel with a trumpet, most likely. Probably something like this, right? Probably something like that. I don't think I've ever seen a herald angel depicted without a trumpet. Have you ever thought of why that is? I mean, they're everywhere. Christmas decorations, ornaments on trees, all over the place. And have you ever thought about why? So it goes all the way back to Old Testament times, even before that, really. In the Old Testament, trumpets were blown as a reminder of God's faithfulness. We see that in Psalm 98.6. I think we have that. Psalm 98.6. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, shout joyfully before the King, the Lord. It's a, it's a sign of His faithfulness and, though, also of His power. Now, this is from Joshua. I'll read this. Joshua 6.5. It's when everybody knows the story of Joshua, Joshua, Joshua and Jericho. Maybe Joshua too, I don't know. Joshua 6.5 says this, It shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people will shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. That is a symbol of God's power. But with the advent of Jesus Christ, and advent just means coming. With the coming of Jesus Christ, the trumpets take on an entirely different tone. Let me share that with you. Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly army of angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among people with whom he is pleased. Now, depending on your translation, I use the NASB, and it says the heavenly army. Your translation may say heavenly host. Have you heard that before, the heavenly host? It sounds like a restaurant chain, the heavenly host. It sounds peaceful. It certainly doesn't sound terribly foreboding or powerful or anything like that. But let me share something with you. That word, heavenly host, translates as the Greek word strasha. And strasha means, the definition is, an organized army. It doesn't mean the greeter at the front door. It's an organized army. And church, what is an army for? Armies do battle. Armies do battle. The same heavenly army appears a little bit later in the word of God. Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Listen to this. When the lamb broke the seventh seal. Anybody know what's going on here? This is the end times, right? This is book of Revelation. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. 
These angels are instruments of judgment. Instruments of judgment against an evil world at the return of Christ. And the trumpets blast. You can read Revelation to see how that works. It is an awesome scene. But here's what I want you to know. The act of heralding, the act of, the act of announcing, heralding, is not peaceful. And it is absolutely, definitely not passive. The act of being a herald of Jesus Christ is not a peaceful, quiet, passive thing. It's meant to be a gracious invitation first. First and foremost, a gracious invitation to anyone who will accept it. But then also as a powerful statement of reality of what awaits those who refuse to accept the terms of surrender. Make no question about it. This is a powerful thing, the act of being a herald. So the next time you're shopping at the mall or you're watching a parade or you're looking at an ornament on somebody's Christmas tree and you see something like this, we've all seen this, right? I want you to think about what they're doing. This is a heavenly army blowing their trumpets of the coming of the king. That's what that is. So remember this. I'm sorry, I lost my, lost my place. Remember this, though. Christmas is so much more than just a time about family, friends, and eating and drinking all that you can. That can be a part of it if you want. That's not what it's about. It's not even about saving Nakatomi Plaza. Those of you who know, know what I'm talking about. It's not whether or not you'll shoot your eye out. It's really not even about just doing your best to live by the principles that Jesus Christ taught. It's not really even just about that. It is a celebration that the one who was promised from the beginning the one who has overcome the world, the one who offers salvation through him to all who would accept the offer has come into the world. God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. You know, that's what Emmanuel means when we sing that, God with us. And he has been sent. It is a fulfillment of that promise. And so we give each other presents on Christmas Day. Our family has always gone crazy overboard with presents under the tree on Christmas Day. And that's nice. And that's fun. But what it signifies, that giving of that gift is a reminder of the greatest gift ever given. And that is Jesus Christ. John 3.16. We have that on the screen here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That is a gift from God to those who would accept it. And we celebrate Christmas, not just on December 25th, but every day in thankful, joyous celebration that that promise was fulfilled at the birth of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray.
Father, we thank you, Lord, so much that you sent your son for us. There are so many ways that you could have accomplished your will in this world, but you knew that we needed to be a part of that. We needed a Savior, and we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to go out and be a part of your plan for this world. So, Lord, help us wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves. Help us to be heralds of who you are. Help us to announce the coming of the kingdom. Help us to joyfully celebrate every single day of the year the significance of the gift that you gave us. Lord, let there not ever be a day where we take that for granted, where we look at the trappings of Christmas and just go, oh, how fun. Let us have fun, but let us know that the only reason we can is because you have overcome the world. Father, we thank you and we praise you this day and every day for the gift of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, we're going to take communion right now. What a better, what better way is there, I don't know, to seal our allegiance. All the words like heralding and all these things, heavenly armies, it all pictures this battle. And being a herald is a messenger between two opposing sides. Isn't that what we are? Isn't that what the body of Christ is? We are messengers of Christ between the fallen world of the flesh and the heavenly realms. We are that herald. And when we take communion together, we are saying, yes, I have accepted the gift and now I have a mission. And our mission is to be that herald to this world. And we celebrate that and we remember that and we reaffirm our commitment to that every time we take communion. So if you're out there, if you're out there in the world, however you have the elements, grab them now. We'll take it together at the crosses. We have juice and bread and crackers, and you can serve yourself there up front. Pastor Gabe and myself will have wine, and we will serve you up front here if that's what you like. But if you need to just sit and just pray before you come up and receive that communion, do that. I don't want it to be just a mechanical thing that we do ever. I want it to be a heartfelt commitment that by doing this, I am recommitting myself to what Jesus has called me to do and who he has called me to be. In the back, we'll have prayer team. If you need prayer for anything, we have uh, people with prayer lanyards. Look for someone back there. They'll pray with you. If you're out there online, you can put it in the comments and we will pray for you. Prayer is such a powerful weapon against the lies of the enemy and we would love to do that for you. But let's take communion together. As the worship team plays on, let's just remember what this day, what this season, and really what our lives are about. Amen, church? Thank you, guys.